Come on in to Margaret McSweeney's Kitchen for Kitchen Chat, where every week you'll meet chefs, cookbook authors, foodies, gourmets, and just plain people who love to eat. And along with laughter, chat, recipes, and stories about food, you'll sometimes also hear words of inspiration, love, and hope. As Margaret always says, kitchen chat is food for the senses and food for the soul. So grab a cup of coffee, put your feet up on a comfy chair, and get ready to spend a little time with Margaret and her friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I am just so delighted that you are tuning in and coming into my virtual kitchen. Today, this is one of the first days out of the kitchen. I'm actually visiting some friends in California, and I am just so delighted that through technology and the virtual kitchen, we can connect with someone you will just absolutely love, Allison Robicelli, who is the proprietor, along with her husband, Matt, of Robicelli's in Brooklyn. Cupcakes you will absolutely crave, and they have a new book coming out um, this month. And it's all about cupcakes, a love story with cupcakes, 50 decidedly grown-up recipes. So, Allison, welcome to Kitchen Chat. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Oh, well, this is just going to be so much fun to learn about cupcakes, especially your kind of cupcakes. I mean, I looked at some of the uh, listings, and I'm like, wow, I never thought of a cupcake <laughs> quite in that way. Like the Lorenzano, a fresh fig cake topped with goat cheese buttercream, fig balsamic gastrique, and crisp prosciutto flakes. Wow. <laughs> That's one of our favorites. I mean, um, you know, a bit of background on Matt and I is we we actually didn't start off to start a bakery and we did, yeah. definitely did not start off to, to ever make cupcakes. Uh, we were both, uh, I did an apprenticeship and he graduated went close to the top of his class at the French Culinary Institute. So we're both classically trained. Yeah. And we spent many years in uh, high, fine dining in New York City at the pastry station and high-end catering and things of that nature. So we have really a plated dessert background and or uh, a very expensive, fancy, more money than it costs to buy a car with wedding cake uh, background. <laughs> and this is just always, you know, it, it's our nature on how we, we approach pastry. So the way we, we accidentally got into cupcakes was we had opened up uh, a gourmet shop and a sandwich shop in uh, 2008, and we, we had decided to get out of restaurants because we had we had two very young children. Uh, they were six weeks and 18 months old at the time, and we wanted to have a little bit more stability. And four days after our opening was the stock market crash of 2008, so wow. we were desperately trying to find ways to get people in the door. And somebody had mentioned. And the story is in the book, so you should read it, yes. um, about doing, doing some of our famous cakes again and, and going back to dessert. And we realized that nobody would buy a giant cake every day, much less like 30 cakes every day. Right. And we thought, hey, let's just, you know, make them into smaller sizes. And then Matt's like, like cupcakes? And then I laughed because I've always thought of cupcakes as so silly. And then I was like, you know what, yeah, well, why, you know, I never found a cupcake really that I was happy with it because yeah. they just always seemed very novelty-ish to me, you know? It was always like, yeah. oh, look, it's pink. It's got sprinkles. <laughs> it looks like a dog. And I don't necessarily want to eat that, um, you know? I will say that, I mean, my husband and I are sort of, we're sort of snobs at some of the food we eat. 
you know, and especially you spend all these years with, with classical training in food yeah. and you become like, you know, a little bit more picky, especially about dessert, because our philosophy has always been, I mean, it's gonna, it's, it's a, it's a big investment as far as calories go, you know? So yeah, you want those calories to be really worth it. And <laughs> I don't want those calories to come from like shortening or artificial butter flavoring or things like that. Like I want them to come from real butter. I want them to come from real things. So we decided let's just make the plate of desserts and the, the big cakes and all those things that we love. Let's just try to find a way to make them into a cupcake, into just like something very, very small and individual that anybody can afford, you know? Right. Like if you're a plumber and you can't afford to go to a fancy restaurant in Manhattan, well, you can afford a cupcake, you know? It was a way of democratizing dessert. So <laughs> that was just always our approach. And we really thought we were going to make two to four dozen a week tops. Yeah. We thought it would bring people into the store and help them buy sandwiches and things. And uh, within a month, someone had called us the best cupcake in New York City. And it just sort of snowballed from there. And only a few months later, the shop ended up closing. And we turned it into a wholesale bakery. So, you know, we, we make a whole variety of baked goods. But the cupcakes, I mean, Matt, they are just like, I, I, it's stupendous. And for five years, we've been in business five years now. Mm-hmm. And for all those years... People keep asking me, like, well, when is this cupcake trend going to end? And I'm like, I got into the business after it was quote unquote over. You guys, keep, you guys keep asking me about it still, and you keep buying the stuff. And you know what? At the end of the day, people just they really love a good piece of cake. They love a good yes. piece of cake, especially if it's just for them, and you don't have to buy the whole cake. Right. So that's that's kind of how this this all came about. These quote unquote grown-up desserts but oh i love this and oh there's just so much to chat about and i love this new term that you have coined democratizing desserts that is so great and as a reminder listeners desserts is actually uh uh stressed spelled backwards yes so (laughs) there is a there's a chapter in our book um the book is is there's 50 recipes, but also mm-hmm. there is a bunch of essays in it. I'm known as a humor writer as well. Yeah. And it's sort of, it, it's memoirish. It tells the story from the moment I met my husband through, you know, falling in love to getting married to figuring out that we were supposed to make cupcakes to losing the store <laughs> and on. And there's a chapter called uh, The Importance of Emergency Cake, which I yes. think is, is one of the most important <laughs> principles um, in my life. And, and like I said, it's an emergency cake. <laughs> well, emergency cake, like you said, it's, it's stress spelled backwards. And then there's just like, there are some days where, you know, I have spent all day cleaning the house and then I put my children to bed and it looks like I did nothing all day. Uh, there are days where I, I am just overwhelmed with like a thousand places to be and there's a million things in my email and I'm just like, I can't do this. I am a 33-year-old <laughs> woman and I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. Um, and, you know, you're just like, God, I'm like, I want a piece of cake right now or I want something sweet, you know? Yes. And yes. this has always happened to me. And it's always happened to me at like 10, 11 o'clock at night. You know, where you, you've really run out of options at that point. So I'm like, well, I can make a cake, but there's no way I'm doing that, you know? Right. right. Or so I will end up, and, and I live in, in Brooklyn, so I have, uh, I have some options at, at 
any hour of the night. You'll go to like Seven Eleven or the Twenty Four Hour Pharmacy. Yeah. And you get something in a box, and then you get home, and then you eat it, and it actually makes you sadder. You know. Yes. Yeah. It, and sadder. <laughs> it, it, like the cake has made you sadder, and you you just kind of you, you're there, and you're like, I don't even like this. And then you look at the ingredient label, and you can't pronounce half of it, and it yeah. tastes like candle wax, and and it's so absolutely nothing gratifying. And you're like, I just wish I'd had the forethought at like four o'clock in the afternoon to buy a good piece of cake. Um, so what I started doing at that point, um, there's an essay in the book about, about my children doing this to me one day. And I realized I had this awakening at 30 years old. I'm like, I am 30. I am a big girl (laughs) and I am the mommy in this house and I should not be eating a box cake with my hands hiding in the bathroom. Um, (laughs) so, so I, I have instituted a policy that I will always have some sort of emergency cake in my house. And, our cake in particular freezes really well. We've designed it on a chemical level so that the cake will freeze well. And, uh, you know, the recipes are also rather large. Um, it's, just, it's just the nature of scaling things. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, you know, you, you bake a recipe of 24 cupcakes, you don't eat all of them. So you, you take them and you freeze them. And you can put them in a little baggie or whatnot, but you keep them in your freezer. Mm-hmm. And when you have that moment at any hour of the night where you're just losing it, you know there's good cake in your freezer. And you go and you can like put it in the microwave for like 30 seconds at like half power and you yeah. thaw it out and you eat a good piece of cake that doesn't make you feel bad about yourself. You know, it's yeah. like uh, having a life raft in your freezer. And oh. it's even better if the freezer is <laughs> at the top of your fridge so the kids don't know there's any cake in it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, like I used to have a candy drawer. They found my candy drawer. That one, that one bit me in the tail really bad. They don't know about my emergency cake stash. And... <laughs> Cake just feels special. I mean, that's just, that's why, part of why cake makes you feel good. It's not that like, because pie, I love pie. Trust me, I love pie. (laughs) I eat more pie than anybody, but pie just really doesn't do it. Because a cake makes you feel like it's your birthday. Or, you know, you could put a candle in it. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, it's not even close to your head. Put a candle in it. Make yourself feel better. This is what cake is there to do. Cake is there to be like, you know what? You're special, and you earned this, and you should have a nice day because you deserve it. And I'm like, thank you, cake. I will, and then I eat it. And and then I don't yell at my kids or my husband as much, and I kind of let the thing that, like, you know, the house is not going to ever be clean go, and then I just stop cleaning. Um, So it's, it's really, it's a very healthy thing for me. I love this. So everyone needs to come up with the emergency cake, and you have fabulous recipes and assortments uh, in your new book, A Love Story with Cupcakes. And I would love to chat about the Brooklyn Blackout Cake, Mm. a chocolate cake with custard buttercream dipped in homemade fudge and rolled in chocolate cake crumbs and first of all i must ask have you actually experienced any blackouts in new york because i oh, know yeah. you're yes yeah. so is this what inspired the brooklyn blackout cake? the brooklyn blackout actually um has nothing to do with us it was credited to a bakery named ebinger's okay. and they they at one point were the biggest bakery in brooklyn they had mm-hmm. over 50 stores if i'm remember, reminding us and um to put this as a like in perspective Brooklyn, you know, we're we're a kind of a big city. I think we have like three million people on our own, but like logistically, 
we're not that big. Like area wise, we're not that big. Yeah. So to have fifty bakeries is gigantic. Wow. wow. And they were around from the turn of the century till nineteen seventy four. Um so this was before my time. And they were the ones who invented the Brooklyn blackout cake. And it was you'd bake two layers of chocolate cake, cut them in half. So now you had four layers. And yeah. you'd put chocolate pudding in between three of them and then you'd you'd put the, the fourth layer aside. You'd cover the outside with more pudding, and then you'd take that last chocolate layer, and you'd crumble it up into crumbs, and then just pack it all over it. So it was just really this, this mess of chocolate cake crumbs and pudding. Um, <laughs> so my father has you know, been talking about this cake for, for my entire life. And you still Aww. see it relatively uh, – you, you still see a lot in Brooklyn in diners and in other bakeries. But most um, – unfortunately – a lot of bakeries, they've, they've industrialized everything. So things yeah. come from cake mixes or from cans and a lot of shortening, a lot of palm oil, and things don't taste very good. Right. So my father, even though he's tried this cake multiple places, he's like, there, it's not, nothing close to when I was a kid. It's nothing close to Evanger's. Evanger's was one of the last bakeries that like did things the right way. Aww. So for a couple of years ago, I was like, I want to make this. I'm like, I'm going to make it. <laughs> I'm like, and it, it wasn't just I'm going to make it because people still make it, but I'm like, I want to make it so it tastes like my dad remembers it. You Aww, know. So yeah. I was trying to recreate a recipe that had been lost and nobody had tasted since 1974, and. It's, again, all natural. There's, uh, you know, we make a, a thick pastry cream and we fold it into the French buttercream. So you're tasting a lot of egg yolks rather than, you know, chocolate syrup or, um, you know, shortening. There's yeah. a, a chocolate glaze on top. And when my, my dad, he's like, he's like, you know what, I, I can't really remember exactly what it tasted like. He's like, but I don't care. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't care. He's like, my father, like, you know, he could, my father is the, the, the biggest chocolate-holic I've ever met in my life. You know, <laughs> he could, you know, there's chocolate in the house or a chocolate cake in the house, and you go to bed, and then the next morning it's gone. And he'll sleep eat the whole thing. So, so for us, like, the, the the blackout cake was you know it's an homage to Brooklyn's past, yeah. but it's really I mean it's it's probably I think the the best dessert that's ever come out of Brooklyn, you oh. know original dessert that's come out of Brooklyn and it's I mean come on it's chocolate pudding and chocolate cake I mean yes. like we kind of we kind of <laughs> win there I mean I, I mean I want to see Definitely. San Francisco come up with something that delicious. Hey, and I think I might make that my emergency cake. <laughs> it's, it's so good as emergency cake. Wow. So oh, good. You get yeah. custard, you get chocolate, and you get cake in one bite. I mean, it, I mean, it's just it's victory in a in a palmful. <laughs> that is great, and I love these stories. And and the the Lorenzano. What was the inspiration behind that with fresh fig? That is and goat cheese in a in a cupcake that's just amazing and prosciutto <laughs> yeah we, we get um we all have fig trees in our backyard um oh in brooklyn in brooklyn like pretty much anybody obviously we live in a very old <laughs> italian neighborhood so i yeah. i have a fig tree in my backyard that i share with my greek neighbors um a lot of my friends like their parents have these houses with three or four fig trees and They'll call me up and they'll be like, I have 
gallons of figs. I don't know what to do with them. <laughs> so this started a few years ago, and like right when we had started making the cupcakes. And I love figs; they're my favorite fruit in the world. Yeah. They, but the problem with having a tree is the entire tree goes ripe the same time. And now you have, like, all these figs and you have nothing to do with them. Like, you'll eat, like, six of them. And then you're like, okay, now what do I do with the other 700 figs? <laughs> um, so we started taking these figs and we're like, okay, well, let's try to make a cake out of them. And, and the cake is uh, – fig cake is probably my favorite. Mm. Um, so, you know, Matt and I are, – our sort of, like, little way of flirting, I guess, is batting around recipe ideas. Uh, this is this is how we fell in love in the first place at a bar, you know. It's like, oh, you're a chef, I'm a chef, like, you know. And then let's, let's talk about apple pie for six hours and how we can make it better. So I'm like, well, what goes really good with figs? And goat cheese goes so well with figs. Uh, and we had done a cupcake in the past with a goat cheese buttercream, which was just spectacular. So we had put those two together, and we're like, okay, so you have this really like sweet base, and you have this mm-hmm. sort of like tangy buttercream that's really soft so i'm like you have two soft items and you want something crunchy on the top and that's like well he's like what if we do prosciutto he's like not like a ton of it but you just do a little bit and you crisp it up and that'll give you that bite and it gives you the salt and a very a very slight hint of savoriness again remember in the proportions yeah you're really getting more of the sweet stuff but it's just like that little bit of flavor and then he was like and we should do a gastrique for the top and a gastrique um, is usually used, we use this a lot in savory cooking. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's like a pan sauce that's made with like sugar and vinegar. So oh. it's almost like a, a fancy French sweet and sour sauce. So okay. we're using a fig balsamic and, you know, there's sugar involved. So it's sweet, but I mean, I think a, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of, uh, like strawberries with balsamic vinegar. Yes. Like oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's not a foreign concept to use balsamic vinegar in um, in dessert. So just by mm-hmm. using a little bit of it, tempering that with a little bit more sugar to make it a little bit more sweet, you kind of get that that acidicness. So because the, the figs are so sweet, you have those multiple elements that are competing with it. And, I mean, this is this is a very old pastry strategy. You're really always trying to take elements and, and put them in contrast with each other, you know? You have something wow. soft, put something crunchy on the plate, like apple pie a la mode. It's hot, yeah. that's a scoop of ice cream on top. Or you have something crunchy, you want something soft, and, and mm-hmm. vice versa. And the reason that you do this is that it wakes you up and it makes you interested, you know? When yeah. everything's homogenous and it tastes the same, you could, like, um, like think of a like a cheap snack cake. You could eat one of those and just forget that you've eaten it. You know, there's right. nothing interesting going on. When you're when different taste buds are going off and different senses are going off and you're detecting different hints or different uh, textures and flavors, you become really present in the eating uh, experience, and you kind of create that little moment. If it's just for a couple of minutes where you kind of block the entire world out and the only two things that exist are you and the food, you know? And that's, yeah. that's kind of the point of, of eating a dessert, you know? So, I mean, the Lorenzano, maybe it takes you a minute to eat, but you know what? you got that one minute where you're just all in yes. and the rest of the world doesn't exist. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, just the whole, and, and the gourmet experience, that is just... So exciting, and and your book really provides French techniques 
for cupcakes and uh-huh. for pastry making. And so what are some other insights to the different French techniques that you bring out in your book that the home kick, the home cooks, even the worst of the home cooks, such as myself, can actually try and, um, yeah, and, and well, delight in? Well, one thing I make, I make clear in the book is, mm-hmm. and this is coming from me, who has been a student of cookbooks since I was able to learn to read, and oh. most of my career has come from learning from cookbooks. I still read cookbooks every night. I'm still learning. Oh, that's great. Um, <laughs> but I'm a professional, you know, and yes. I've been doing this, yes. I'm doing this professionally for over a decade, um, just doing it on my own for maybe 20 years. So wow. I've got... I've got a lot of experience behind me, and I kind of know what I'm doing. And, I mean, if this was something easy, I wouldn't have a job, you know, anybody no, could do this. No, of course not, yeah. So yeah. I – and cookbooks for me always sort of made it seem like anyone can do it, which, I mean, that's great, and I do feel that anybody could do it, but with practice. So yes. Yes. we have recipes that are rated, like one whisk. Like, anybody could try this. Like, you know, if you're going to start something, start this. And then we have them going up to three, which is for more advanced bakers. And I say in the book, I'm like, it's okay to fail. It's really okay. I mean, because if if you can just open up a book and just make whatever I make professionally and Mm -hmm. my staff that I've been training for ages can make, you know, I mean, then our jobs would be too easy. Um, There's a lot of learning you do, but the way that you learn is by trying and by failing and by experimenting and by reading and getting a hang of it. And yeah. it's a lot of fun to do that. And, you know, I mean, um, a lot of baking books, you know how baking is a science? You've heard that, like, baking is a science. And, yes. and um, I failed chemistry. So. Yes. But, like, I always, you know, you see, like, Rachel Ray talks about this all the time. She's like, I can't bake. I can't bake because it's, it's too exact, you know. And right. it's sort of given us this, this, I guess, mindset about baking. I mean, not only is it exact, because it is an exact science, but yes. it's also given us this misperception that if you follow the recipe, you're going to get the same thing in the picture that's coming out of the oven, you know? And that's mm. just simply not true. There's no. like a million different variables. <laughs> it, it's not. It's like there's different variables that go wrong. There's, you know, your ingredients. If it's a humid day, good luck with doing anything in the kitchen. <laughs> I mean, baking, baking is really affected by humidity and temperature, and, the and ingredients. Why? Why is it affected by the temperature? Essentially, there's a lot of factors. There's pressure. There's altitude. The biggest one, to simplify it, is with humidity, with the water in the air, especially with sugar. Sugar is what we call hygrosophic, meaning that sugar just loves sucking the moisture out of everything. Like, you ever notice on a humid day, you open up your sugar bowl for your coffee and you have a rock in there? Or, (laughs) you know, brown sugar, you open it and it turns into a brick? That's why. That's why. Because sugar is pulling moisture from the air. Trying to make candy during the summer is near impossible. Like you can try, like pick the most humid day of the year and try to boil just like, boil some sugar on the stove and you'll see the steam coming out and you'll see it getting sucked right back in. It's, it'll make it a watery puddle. Um, it's, it's a pain, you know, and it'll affect the way, you know, things bake. Things will get, you know, they won't rise right. It's, it's just, it's a nightmare. So we'll have, like, big air conditioning, <laughs> air conditioners put into, like, <laughs> our candy rooms and things like that. But, you know, I mean, there's ways around it when you know what you're doing. You know maybe, or you get a bag of flour from a grocery store in August. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Flour also, you know, it can store moisture. 
So when you're adding the flour to the recipe, you're also adding in a little bit of moisture. So when you add your milk, now it's too, it's too moist and doesn't rise as much. You know, these are things that you can tell. There's no way to write this in a book to say, like, this is what you're looking for. That's something that comes with experience. So, I mean, right in the beginning of the book, I'm really just, I tried to make super, like, be super honest about it. I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's okay if you mess up. And it's also okay if the things that you make don't look like the pictures. And it's okay, (laughs) you know. I mean, the point is, is that you're trying. And you're having fun doing it. And, you know, I hope you do get good enough to to bake all the recipes. But if you don't, you can buy this book for a friend to make them make you the recipes. Exactly. Uh, You know. Um, And then also another kind of like hidden feature of the book is that on the cover it says 50 recipes for cupcakes. But within Mm -hmm. those recipes are sub-recipes, you know. So like take our, um, our root beer float cupcake. It's filled with a root beer custard. You can just uh-huh. make the root beer custard. You don't have to make the whole cake. Or right. like the Lorenzano, like we just mentioned, that fig balsamic gastric, just make right. the gastric. Put it on vanilla ice cream. Put it on strawberries. Put it over a duck breast. Um, wow. You know, everything. We have recipes for homemade candies in there, like uh, malted milk balls and cashew brittle. We have recipes for puddings, for fried cookies, for homemade uh, wine and berry compote. There's a, there's a ton of different stuff in there. So when you read between it, you can, you know, like, you don't think you can bake, but you know how to make pudding. And to make right. the pudding. Or, yeah. you know, make a, make a blackberry and cabernet compote. Or make butterscotch and keep mm-hmm. it in a jar in your fridge, you know. And there's enough stuff in there that, you know, you can play around with, begin to make your own cupcake flavors. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, I, I mean, with the stories alone, I feel like it's a book that you could really leave on your coffee table and just read. Oh, I can't wait. This is going to be wonderful. And another um, the cupcake that really intrigued me was this chicken and waffle cupcake. Uh, yes. <laughs> what? We got what? really, we got incredibly sort of like, we were already well known for our cupcakes. And then... Okay. When the chicken and waffle came out, we had like a like a phenomenon. We had lines going down the block, and we were at this point a wholesale bakery, so we were only doing pop ups and pop up markets. Yeah. And when we'd bring the chicken and waffles and announce it, we would have like a line going out the door from our table wherever we were, sometimes fifty people deep, and until we sold out, <laughs> we'd sell out within twenty thirty minutes. Like we could never make enough to meet the demand for this cupcake. It was insane. And um, it was fun because the first time we ever released it, it flopped. It flopped horribly. I don't think people were ready for it. But, um, (laughs) you know, there is a story in the book about how we came about with it and how we initially thought it would just be like, you know, because I I love, this is 2009. So this is a long time ago before people were really like, Chicken and waffles, everything. People were still right. chicken and waffles. Right. Ew! Why would you do that? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, no, not really. Like, I, I remember eating it when I was a kid, and I loved like, if you buttermilk brine a chicken. Have you? Hey, I know you're not much of a, a home cook, but you know about buttermilk soaking chicken, yes? Oh, yes, and I'm from the south, so yeah. I know all about buttermilk and that uh, the, the griddle, the cast iron griddle. Yeah. So like a good buttermilk chicken. Yeah. practically can turn into like a custard, you know, and right. chicken doesn't taste like anything. People forget, like, you know, when you always say things taste like chicken, that's because they <laughs> taste like nothing, you know, 
you, you're like, oh, chicken's boring. I'm going to throw it in a bag of this store-bought marinade so it tastes like something. <laughs> no. So chicken was like, I'm like, it's so versatile. I'm like, let's just, you know, let's just try and make it sweet. And it's, you know, it's our company, so we can do whatever we want. So we're like, we're like the worst that happens, you know, we don't like the flavor, no big deal. And when we came up with it and we did our first test run and ate it, we're like, oh, my God. We're like, this is going to change food forever. <laughs> like wow. gigantic okay. illusions of grandeur. Um, <laughs> but it's, you know, again, people people are always, were always kind of surprised that we would play with savory elements of food. But our philosophy has always sort of been – we have a lot of philosophies, if you didn't notice. Um, <laughs> we Dessert should not be too sweet. Dessert should not be – just some pure sugar bomb. Um, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of savory to cut the sweetness, especially with the, the maple syrup that's involved yeah. with chicken and waffles. That's what makes it a brilliant combination. It's like, like maple syrup is delicious and it's got a beautiful flavor profile, but mm-hmm. on its own is really, really cloying. And if you've ever had it on like pancakes, you have a sweet cake with lots of butter just soaked with sugar. So it can be a right. little bit much. So to break it up with that salt and the chicken, which is like, barely, barely flavored, it really makes the maple taste better, you know, wow. because wow. you're not hit over the head with it. <laughs> That's true. Oh, good. Well, this is just, I cannot wait to get the book. And listeners, I encourage you as well. And and some of our listeners have come up with questions for you, Allison. Um, yay! I love questions. Uh, yay! And talking about, uh, you know, how to make things look like the picture. And we understand that, yes, it's not going to look like it. But um, one of our listeners asked, uh, what makes the best cupcake frosting when you're making them at home? And how do you get the French, um, or, or if you're using French buttercream, how do you give it the height like it has in the pictures? You know, it's always just so beautifully quaffed. <laughs> it looks like a quaffed. <laughs> well, with our French buttercream, French mm-hmm. buttercream is a little bit difficult to make. Um, it takes time, and you definitely need a stand mixer to do it because if okay. you don't use a stand mixer, you're going to get burned. Uh, it starts with something we call a pâte bomb, and pâte bomb in French means you, you're whipping eggs and a lot of egg yolks, and okay. you're, you whip them till they're triple in volume. They'll get a very pale pink. Um, they'll be three times the size as before, and then you're boiling sugar till it hits what we call soft boil, which is around. It's it's very very hot. Uh, Matt describes it as if you've ever seen the beginning of pop up video, those bubbles. That's what it looks like. It's like sugar lava. Okay. And Lava. we drizzle that into it. So we're, we're pouring hot sugar syrup into the egg yolks to cook it, and it makes this really gloppy, sticky mess. And then you slowly add tiny pieces of very cold butter to mm. emulsify it. So it's not the most stable thing, but it's the most okay. delicious thing. So the key to that one is to make sure it stays somewhat cold, like not – Ice cold because you won't be able to pipe it, but yeah. you can't have a hot oven. You know, you can't, it can't be a really hot day. Um, back at our original store, which was not designed to be a bakery, I used to have to stay up all night baking, and then I would have to leave at like 2.30 in the morning, run home, which fortunately was a few blocks away. I'd sleep. We'd wait till 5 a.m. and then go back wow. because the temperature and the humidity would drop enough. Otherwise, what happens again um, you know, between the sugar absorbing the, the moisture from the air and also because of the fat butter. A lot of people think butter is straight fat. It's not. Butter is 80% fat, 1% these things called milk solids, which are 
important for another use. We won't talk about them today. And right. uh, 19% water. So oh. butter, the reason it, you know, it'll start to separate when you leave it out of room temperature is because the fat and the water are separating away from each other. Wow. So okay. that's how French buttercream is a, a more advanced technique. It's not the easiest thing. That's why we also have a recipe called American frosting in our oh, book. Okay. American frosting is what a lot of people call buttercream, uh, but it's actually mostly made out of sugar. And we take somewhat softened butter and you beat it. Our secret ingredient is some mascarpone cheese. Mascarpone mm-hmm. tastes like a solid block of cream. So it adds a really great, like, creamy flavor to things. Yeah. Um, think, of it, think of it like cream cheese without the tang. And okay. then yeah. you're adding powdered sugar to it a bit at a time. And powdered sugar is, A, it's more stable than butter. It's going to help hold the butter uh, and the water together. Mm-hmm. And, two, it, it contains a very small amount of cornstarch, which keeps powdered sugar from clumping. And that cornstarch as well will help any, like, liquid that's stuck that might leak out, it, it binds it. So okay. that is a great frosting to use if you live in a warm area or if you're okay. a beginner. Um, okay. And the best way to get height is to pipe it. Um, okay. You can get piping bags. Some people say to use Ziploc bags. I find that technique never works. I, you know, like the people on TV will use it and then right. you try to do it at home and like the zip side opens and you get it everywhere. And then it just feels worse. I mean, it just never works well. You know, next time you're at a cake supply store or at a restaurant supply store, just do yourself a favor, go in and get a whole bunch of piping bags. They're like, they're like 20 cents a piece. Okay. Just, just save right. yourself the aggravation. Get some piping bags. Keep them in the back of that cabinet that you have all your crap in that you look at like two, three times right. a year. And when you need it, it's there. And piping, it takes a little bit of work. It's surprisingly easy once you get the hang of it. It takes practice. Okay. And once right. you practice it and you know what you're doing, it's gonna, everything's going to get so easy for you for the rest of your oh. life. It's like riding a bike. You never forget how to do it. Oh, that does sound good. That that is how you get height. Number three, for people who can't type, can't do fresh buttercream, can't do anything, and this is this is my favorite cheat. Um, You can take a little ice cream scoop. Ah. Scoop it on top. This is a lot of frosting, but then you pack it down. Okay. Now it's not going to look that pretty. So here's what you do. In some of our cupcakes, like the like the blackout cake or the the chocolate peanut butter pretzel, which is one of my favorites you're covering the top with something else. On one hand, it's great for texture, and on two, it completely covers up your frosting job. So what we'll do is we, <laughs> we put the, the, the cupcakes in the refrigerator just for like a minute or two to, to like firm up, and okay. then we will take um, a bag of pretzels and some peanuts, and we, we smash the pretzels up, and we put everything in a pie plate, and then you take the, pret- the, the cupcakes out and you roll the entire t- top. Like you're doing an ice cream cone. You roll it in pretzels and peanuts. So oh. now you can't see any of the frosting. You just see the shape. And it's so impressive looking. And, <laughs> yeah, you, and you can push, you can pack everything down into that frosting. So when you get a bite of it, you're going to get the soft cake and the very soft buttercream and the super crunchy uh, pretzels and peanuts. And it's going to look great. And that, that's just a good tip to do anything. It just looks oh, bad. That's definitely. That's but a great cookies, thing. cake crumbs. We do it with sugar for our creme brulee cupcake in the book. I mean, whatever you got. You have sprinkles. You want to use those? Uh, you know, anything. Just oh. when in doubt, cover it up. Cover it up. Cover it up and be like, I totally meant to do that. 
Exactly. <laughs> and the ice cream scoop. That's great. Another listener is having a problems with a problem with dry cupcakes and would like to know how you keep them moist, you know, maintain that moisture. There is a, that is a huge question. Huge mm-hmm. question. Um, it can come down to a lot of things. One, it could be your recipe. Um, okay. No, I don't know about that. You got to make sure everything is well emulsified as far as your butter or whatnot. But without the recipe in front of me, I can't tell. Two, your oven can be too hot, and oh, that's okay. that's a biggie. I actually give a tip in the book to find out if your oven's too hot and if you have hot spots and cold spots. Most ovens are calibrated wrong. Here's something a lot of home bakers don't know. You can actually lower the temperature of your oven, and things will bake pretty okay. I mean, I'm not saying, like, knock it down to 200 if it's supposed to be 350. But if it says 350 and you bake everything at, like, 325, things are still mm-hmm. going to come out okay. It might just take a few more minutes, but it will come out okay. okay. And it's better, it's a little bit colder than too hot. Because too hot, things will, like, the sides will cook faster and the insides will dry out. And then number three, and this one's the most important, okay. you really need to keep an eye on things as they bake. Okay. We say in the kitchen, and my employees, God help them, they, they always say this drove them nuts when I said it, but then they finally understood. They right. asked me, how long do I bake this for? And I said, till it's done. And they were like, well, what's that, 18, 19 minutes? I said, till it's done. <laughs> maybe 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. They didn't understand how things could change. Right. And again, remember we talked about humidity before? And we yes. talked about the weather? Yes. Yes. That can change cooking time. The, the, the barometer, that can change cooking right. time. The type of recipe, everything. Okay. You always need to be on top of your food. Now, I'm not suggesting that you open the oven constantly. You know that's a big no-no when baking, but you need to okay. keep an eye on it. If something says bake 25 minutes, but for some reason that day everything's baking at like 21 minutes, you, mm-hmm. just, you, will, you will eviscerate the cake. Keep an eye on it. When it kind of looks domed, when it looks like you're, you know, the, the middle is going to look raw if it's not ready, so just leave it alone. But okay. if it looks like it's spraying to the touch, go ahead, test it. Test it with your okay. finger. Keep, keep on top of your food, and then eventually you'll kind of realize, like, oh, wait, I have, like, a hot spot in the back left of my oven. I shouldn't oh, bake things on that yes. side. Okay. Or I need to rotate. Or I need okay. to move things to the lower half of my oven because my heating element's on the top or my heating element's on the bottom and I need to move stuff. Okay. It's, you know, you really need to get interactive. There's no panacea just saying, like, oh, it's magic. It's not magic. You have right. to learn. Right. Exactly. And what is your, t- um, I guess, your your test tip in terms of do you use a toothpick, do you use a fork, or do you just use touch? I use touch at this point. Um, okay. I'm, I- I've been doing this long enough that I know when it's done, mm-hmm. uh, but toothpicks are great. Okay. Um, I was never fond of the metal because I feel yeah. like the metal, like toothpicks at least have a little bit of a ridge, so it will pull something out. Um. Uh, but, you know, you keep an eye on it. Oh, then another, another tip, mm-hmm. if you're having problems with the, the particular recipe you're having and you, you still can't get it to be uh, moist, try adding an extra egg yolk. That oh. is like, that's Matt and I's like big se- secret because it, it has some protein in it, so it won't really disrupt the, the cake, but it has a lot of emulsifiers, has lecithin, has a lot of good fats. Mm-hmm. And it's notoriously what makes things rich and creamy, like creme brulee and all those custards. That's all egg yolk. Yes. Yeah. 
Oh, the egg yolk. Okay, great. Another listener asked, um, what makes a chocolate cake really look dark? And what kind of chocolate do you use? Because you don't use the food coloring or anything like that in your recipes. So it all depends on the recipe. Okay. Um, they do have... Okay, there's there's a, a bunch of different um, types of cocoa on the market. One is Dutch processed cocoa, and okay. Dutch processed cocoa has been treated with alkali. Dutch mm. processed, we don't use that in um, our chocolate cake. We use a natural one, but you might have a recipe that calls for Dutch processed. Okay. And those, when you treat something with alkali, um, one of two things, well, two things happen. Cocoa powder, if you've ever tasted it, just like the Hershey's cocoa, you taste it out of it, it tastes disgusting because, right. it's, because it's acidic. Uh, so when you're putting it okay. into a recipe, there's like baking, there's usually baking soda or something, which is an alkali, which neutralizes that acid. It also causes mm-hmm. the cake to rise. Dutch mm-hmm. process has been treated with alkali, and if you taste it, it just tastes like chocolate. Um, okay. the, more, the further you treat Dutch process with alkali, the darker it gets. So you could actually buy a cocoa powder that's black. And we oh, did a wow. black cake once, and you can't just substitute. You can't substitute the two. It, chemically, they're they're very very different. But you can use a very very dark um, cocoa, and, and it comes on the market, so you can experiment with that. Another thing that we do in our cakes, um, which I think is really important, anytime you're going to bake with cocoa, we mix it first with hot coffee or hot liquid, and that does. There's there's these great flavor compounds in cocoa powder. But cocoa powders actually, each of these little granules, if you took a microscope to them, they're all covered in fat. So when you put scalding hot liquid and what we call bloom it, it melts the fat away. And it actually makes it more chocolatey. So, and you can add, if you want, a scoop of espresso powder to it, which will make it even darker. Oh, but that blooming, wow. that blooming absolutely helps. Okay, the blooming. See, I'm all wondering. sorts of boring science I'm dropping here. <laughs> yeah, told you not everybody could do this. This is hard work. But again, I maybe I will stick to eating and not cooking. <laughs> well, yeah, but this is the fun part about learning. I mean, I, I put a lot of this stuff in the book and these little science tips. And yeah. that's for me why part of why I loved baking and why I went into it as a profession is that there's all, it's not magic. And the more you right. learn about all these right. tiny little things, the more fun it became. So, again, you buy the book, you read it, you're all smarter, and your other recipes will hopefully come out better, too. Exactly, and I'm definitely going to put a link to your book and everything on the website. Also, listeners, I just want you to know what an inspiration Allison is, and and just by way of background, I know we didn't get into any of this, but um, I understand we're fellow cancer survivors, and I just am just... Oh, you too? Yeah, me too. Breast cancer a year ago. Over the phone, high five. Yeah. That's how I got into that's how I got into cooking. I was I was diagnosed with stage four uh, Hodgkin's disease oh, five wow. days before my twenty first birthday. Oh. And I had been going to doctors for ages and they kept like misdiagnosing me and by the point time they found it it had it had spread to my bone marrow and it was like oh. it was kinda of scary. So, you know, you go through like two months of being like super depressed and then I was I mean, all my friends were starting their senior year of college and I'm like at home like taking steroids and getting fat and bald. Um, and I just decided if I let if I just sit here and I feel bad then cancer gets a year of my life. Like cancer wins, you know. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. even if this, is, even if I only have a year left or whatnot, I'm like, this is still my year. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. well, I can't go to school, but I'll just I'll make my own school. So I taught myself how to cook, and okay. I I, I kind of knew how to cook before then, 
but all the science stuff I've been talking, I didn't, I didn't know that existed. And I spent a year like studying books by like Harold McGee and Shirley Corher, who ended up endorsing my book, which is bananas to me. Um, And things, you know, things like that. And, and uh, a few years later when I met Matt, Matt had been a, a paramedic and he got hurt on 9-11 and forced into oh. retirement and he was only 20 years old and forced into retirement. Wow. So uh, we sort of had that like shared bond of like, okay, so cooking sort of saved both of our lives. And, oh. uh, you know, it, it's built, a, yesterday was our seven-year wedding anniversary. And it's, oh, happy anniversary. <laughs> you know, and I, I love him more now than I think I ever have in my entire life. Like we, oh, we, we really, you know, he's he's my best friend and He's my co-parent, and he's my business partner, and, uh, you know, I I just don't know what I'd do without him. Oh, he is your soulmate. And and I have to ask this, did you bake him something, or what did you you know? Oh, hell no. I I actually (laughs) forgot it was our anniversary until he woke me up. (laughs) I I was like, oh, crap, that's today, is it? And... uh, the kids, the kids took us out for the anniversary. The kids came home oh. and they hugged us and they said happy anniversary. And then they oh, demanded well. we go to this restaurant that they like. Uh, so I put on a dress. That was as far as I went. I put on a dress. Um, and we went and, and we had uh, like this great, it's a great old Italian red sauce joint in Brooklyn. It's been there for 77 okay. years. Oh. And the kids sang to us and it was, it was nice. It was nice. It was just like, oh my, thank you for not killing me for seven oh. years. <laughs> that is great. And two other things I wanted to mention, too. Um, goodness, I understand that you guys opened your home and your hearts to neighbors who were devastated by Hurricane Sandy. I just, oh, bless you on that. And I hope that things are recovering much better. Yeah, here. you know, I mean, so it's a it's a different city than it was a year ago in a lot of ways. Um, but it, it also affected... It affected a lot of, of what Matt and I decided we kind of wanted to do for the future and how we wanted to grow the company. And, you know, you, you have opportunities or options to be like, you know, to become like the next glossy mega mart, whatever. And we realized that we are, we are community people and we like creating community centers and we like getting people talking about food and talking to each other and creating a space at home. So instead of us opening a big store, in some trendy neighborhood that would probably end up like the backdrop of some movie or or whatnot. We decided to open up a store right here again in our neighborhood on the untrendy side of Brooklyn in the shadow <laughs> oh. of the Verrazano Bridge and like you know we grew up here. I spent my whole yes. life here. I'm at my dad's house right now uh, doing this oh. interview, which is ten blocks oh. from mine. Oh, that's and great. you know, we, like for us to put good things, like you know, one of the reasons we were so involved in Sandy was that you know we have a lot of connections. To, it was all working class neighborhoods that got hit for the most part. All the the places that that the rich people in Manhattan or whatnot they were they were mostly mostly like. Not, they they didn't have the extent of devastation that some of these working class places did, and they also had a lot quicker response from the government than the working class neighborhoods did. Oh. So where you know the working class was waiting for FEMA for two three weeks, community organizations began to step in. You know, and we were one of of thousands of people that oh. just decided well, to do our part to help our, our brothers. 
And that is just so wonderful. It's all about community and the cooking. You're right. I mean, community, it, cooking brings together the, the community. And, and you not only, you know, you feed the soul as well as, as, well as the, the, yeah. the heart. So, and we're, uh, and we're inherently, we're, we're storytellers and we're parents and we're a family. And, you oh. know, we want to just create places that are less about, you know, mass production and about, you know, really like smooth jazz and glossy countertops and more places where people feel comfortable coming in and talking and, and getting to know each other. So, oh, well, this has been just so much fun um, being in each other's kitchen virtually and, and chatting with each other. And, and also, oh my goodness, congratulations on being on Chopped. I am so impressed. I think I would faint in front of a TV. I almost fainted like six <laughs> times. That was, I will go hands out. It was the worst experience of my whole life. I have, I, I have start, I have taken up running, and I would actually rather run from a bear than go back on shaft. <laughs> I was like, I never, I was like, can I please go home now? Like, I just don't want to do this anymore. It's it's so it's so hard. It's so hard. So I'm I'm proud of myself for. I it, this is a testament to every person who has been on that show, every person who has to eat the food that they make on that show, to the producers, to the cast. I mean, shaft is like. It's real deal. It is not a lot of fancy editing. It is very, very, very real, and it's very hard. And there are people who work their butts off on that show. And, yes. my God, I'm slow clapping for all of them in my mind because it's just <laughs> – don't ever go on shop, kids. Just just stay home. Watch it on TV. Make fun of people like me. <laughs> no. no, there's no way to make fun of you. You are such an inspiration, Allison. And thank you for sharing all these great insights about democratizing desserts and all the great tips you've provided and sugar lava. I mean, I, I just am, am going away with just such uh, an enthusiasm about cupcakes and your new book. And listeners, definitely go to robichellis.com for information. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also going to provide a link to uh, the book and robichellis.com on my website. And thank you so much for being on today's show, Allison. Thank you for and, having me. It was, it was wonderful to talk to you. Oh, this is great. And listeners, please remember to take some time and while you're perhaps eating your emergency cake, take a moment and savor the day. Thank you for joining us today. If you're interested in Margaret's books, A Mother's Heart Knows, Pearl Girls Encountering Grit, Experiencing Grace, and Go Back and Be Happy, please just click on the covers on the webtalkradio.net page in front of you. Margaret would love to connect with you and hear from you, so join her on Twitter, Facebook, her blog, or click on this website to leave a note and share a recipe. Thank you again, and we'll see you here again for a new show next week.